Praise the Lord. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 13. And before we start reading anything out of the Bible this morning, I just want to go ahead and clarify some stuff real quick with um, the position I'm going to come from this morning. I, I, you know, it's Lent season, right? We're, we're doing self-examination right now. We're looking at ourselves. We're checking ourselves. It's a time of repentance and self-evaluation, and it's a reminder to us of what Jesus did for us. We're heading for the event of the cross, but even better, we're also going to see the resurrection, right, on Easter morning. That's where we're headed. And so we've been in the book of Luke for a while, and what we've done is we've actually gone through a little bit of Luke for Advent season. We talked about the incarnation of Jesus Christ, God's enfleshment. And so we also now are in Lent. We're back in the book of Luke. And I I love the book of Luke because the book of Luke is telling us that God wants to have a relationship with everyone, doesn't he? He's put out a general call. You know, obviously not everybody will respond, but God wants a relationship with everyone. And this is what we're learning in Luke right now. And so this morning, when I think of the topic, like what I'm going to preach. I'm going to talk about now is the time to repent. And so when I think about this topic this morning, I'm thinking from the perspective of somebody who has gone to church all of their life. And it is something that I think that most of the time we don't hear very often in church because we've been told on a regular basis that the Lord is not concerned with what we do or don't do as far as what makes us justified before him. So what I want to do this morning is I want to help you to understand something. That if for me to be able to be seen as one who is justified before the Lord, one who is in right standing with Jesus Christ, it's going to be on account of God loved me first. We all get that, right? God loved me first, and I've responded to his love by loving him back. And so when I look at what makes us justified, it's always going to come down to what's in our heart, right? I mean, it, it just really does. It's, it's almost like if my wife and I, for instance, if I just say I love her, but then I don't show any type of actions that demonstrate that I love her, it doesn't take very long for her to realize that my heart's not really with her. I mean, if I don't honor my vows, if I don't um, seek to live in such a way that says I am sold out to her, then she's probably going to have a problem. I think that's fair. Because if we love the Lord, right? If we love, well, let's just go back. If we love our wives or our husbands, We don't just say it, do we? We actually live it. And so that's where the distinction comes. You know, when I was a kid, I guess maybe not a kid, a young man, I would have been around 18. I remember I received Jesus as my Savior. And some events took place, and I decided because of those events that I no longer wanted to have anything to do with Jesus for a while, what I wanted to do was to do my own thing. And so I remember when I, this must have been 1989. Can you believe that's a long time ago now? 
I know it doesn't seem like it, but 1989, I remember I was riding with a friend of mine, and we were getting ready to go out for the night, and I don't know how we got on the topic, but we started talking about God, and we started really doing theology with each other, even though neither one of us had read the Bible, neither one of us knew what we were talking about, but for some reason, I remember he and I said, you know something, we don't really have to worry about the Lord's return right now, because it only makes sense that he's not going to come back till the year 2000, right? Can you, I mean, seriously, we thought that. And so if you look at, if it's 1989, and you think he's coming back in the year 2000, can I tell you what you're, you're thinking? You've got 11 years maximum that you can live how you see fit, right? Because what I'm doing in that moment is I'm doing theology, and what I'm saying is, is I'm, I'm, I'm saying that I'm going to be able to get away with some things, because these are the things that I want to get away with, I'm going to be able to get away with these things for the next 11 years. But let me tell you, just in time, I'm smart enough that just in time, maybe in the year 1999, I might get religious. I see some of you laughing right now, but that was literally the thinking and the conversation. And so what we did is, when we had that conversation... We were able to put aside what we may have felt of some type of conviction and just put it off to the side and go do what we intended to do that night. Now, this is after I've already had an experience with who Jesus Christ is. I, I asked him into my life. There was a problem here. My heart wasn't with him, was it? Because my heart was with what I was going to do. It would be the same way, wouldn't it? If, if I told my wife, I said, look, I love you, but I'm going to go out with this person for a while. How well you think that's going to go? I might have a couple black eyes when I come back next Sunday, right? So it's going to be a problem. And we all know that that makes no sense, and then that would mean that um, then you never really loved me to begin with. And so when I start to come from a position that says, now is the time to repent, I want you to understand this morning that even though you're someone who has believed in Jesus Christ all of your life, even though you've gone to church all of your life, I want you to know that we go through this season of Lent that it we too can repent, and I think that we're going to make the case that it's okay for Christians to admit that we too have to repent. I mean, you, I, I'll tell you, I know Christians sometimes, I have conversations with them, right? And we talk about all sorts of things, and one of the things that we talk about is how much do I really have to be good? If I was going to sum it up in the conversations I've had, this is really what people are driving at. What can I really get away with in my relationship with Jesus Christ? I don't want to let him go, but I also want to continue being the person that I am. Isn't that really what it comes down to? And then, you know, as a pastor, even sometimes, 
This is why I'm telling you, you have to read the Word of God for yourself and you allow the Holy Spirit to teach you and allow Jesus' words to teach you, right? Because as a pastor sometimes, I may succumb to the temptation that says, you're okay, hang in there. Now that might be soothing at the moment to hear that, right? But that may not be what you need to hear. So those are the things I think we should keep in mind because we've been going through Luke, right? So what we've been learning in Luke is that Luke's been telling Theophilus, right? He's been telling this guy about who Jesus Christ is. He's the Savior of the world. And what he did is he came to save Israel first because this is prophecy, right? But then it's opened up, he's opened up salvation to everyone. God wants to have a relationship with everyone, not just the Jews. And so he's been saying, and what we've been learning, several things. What he said is, you know what? God cares about everybody. He cares about not just the Jews, but he cares about all nationalities, all races, right? God cares about everybody. Guess what? God also cares about the poor and the needy and the, and the people who are um, lame, those who are disabled. God cares about them. And so what we're learning about this, God, is that he loves everyone. And in fact, there are times that he does something. But what he always does, just beyond the healings of people who may be disabled, but what God is really after is he's after a people who want to love him back the way he loves them. And one of the ways that they are supposed to love him is by taking care of those who are in need. I mean, this is why we took up a little extra offering today, right? Because we are aware of this. We know that someone is in need in the community. Their house just burnt down. This is a big deal. So we, we did what we could today because we understand that as people who love Jesus Christ, we're going to take care of those who are in need. And that's literally what we did. We got to practice that together this morning. And so God then, this is what Luke's trying to communicate, Israel was supposed to be a nation who practiced doing justice to each other they were supposed to do what's right towards each other. Now, God understood that not everybody was going to do this, but God also built into his kingdom on earth, right? Israel, the kingdom of God. What he did is he built into that nation the ability to practice forgiveness and grace even in the Old Testament. It's amazing because God understood even in the promised land, there was going to be problems with people. They were all going to fail each other once in a while because nobody's perfect, hence the need for repentance again, right? And so what God then was saying when he came in the person of Jesus Christ is that Israel was really disconnected from God, even though they didn't know it. That's quite a statement. Because you hear stuff in, 
Old Testament, you hear stuff like in the book of Isaiah, for instance, where God will say, this people worships me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Because what he's saying is, they say they love me. They say they are serving me. But when they're not together, they're actually serving themselves. We would almost go so far as to say, what they were doing was actually practicing idolatry. We've been talking about that a lot. And so what the, the deal is with idolatry is we're kinda, we kind of make up our own rules, right? We make up our own rules as we go along. So when you go back to the conversation my friend and I had, where I was saying, oh, I'll tell you, um, we've got at least 11 years before God comes back. And, and by the way, if somebody happens to die in a crazy car wreck that we might know, um, it might be because they've been really bad. But as long as we don't, as long as we're not too, too bad, right? We probably got 11 years that we can really do what we want to do. As long as we don't cross that line and really offend God, we could probably live out those 11 years and have enough time to get back right with the Lord. That's idolatry. I mean, there's just no other way to say it. I mean, I'm making up my own rules is what I'm doing. I'm saying, I'm, I'm literally rewriting, even though I'm not actually writing, I'm rewording, I guess is a better way to say it, what God has said in Scripture. That's what I'm doing. And I'm doing it in such a way that I can have a clear conscience to commit the sin that I really want to commit. Because remember, even though I said that I love the Lord and I asked him into my heart, my heart was not with him. My heart was with the sin I wanted to commit. Y'all understand, when we stand before Jesus, before I get going into Scripture, you have to understand, he's going to weigh what was in your heart. Y'all understand that? He's going to weigh your motives. You may have said some things and did some things, right? But he is going to weigh your motives because he knows your heart better than you do. And that's the way it's going to operate. So this morning, I'm reminding us that now is the time to repent. And I'm going to look at some scripture from Luke 13, verses 1 to 9. I'm going to read it real quick. This comes right after Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount. It seems like he's got a lot of Sermon on the Mount stuff in, mixed in, especially starting in chapter 12. I will reference chapter 12 a little bit this morning, but I want you to understand that this is a connector to chapter 12. And so we're going to understand what Jesus has said in light of God's Word. So you may hear some things that I will say this morning that will sound controversial. So all that I ask you to do this morning is simply put aside everything you've ever heard in your life, if you've ever been made aware of this passage, and put it aside and let Jesus speak to you. Does that sound fair? Because if you don't agree with me, that's fine. Read it for yourself. Because like I say, I'm just a human being. So let's take a look at it. 
I'll start with verse one. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless, this is the plural you, southern you, you all right here. But unless you all repent, you all too will perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? Now we're setting some context. I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. So it's a Lent passage, isn't it? We're in a time of repentance. We're doing self-examination. This is what Jesus is doing. So the first thing I want you to see this morning is this. Jesus said now is the time to repent because all have sinned. This is where that doctrine comes from, isn't it? All have sinned. All have sinned. And what's interesting is that we, we American Christians, what I love about us is that we simply like to individualize this thing. And we like to keep it in an individual realm because it kind of keeps it to where we're localizing um, the issue, the, the trouble. It's almost like, you know, if I drive 55 and a 35, um, it, it's my problem. It shouldn't be my family's problem. So therefore, if I'm willing to pay the price, as long as they're not going to be bothered, I can somehow go ahead and pay the price because after all, in that 11 years, I was willing to take a chance, right, to, to maybe go ahead and have my fun. I was going to take a chance because I thought, you know, I'll just be extra careful and live just carefully, just a little bit more careful, but go ahead and continue to do those things that I want to do. And that's just the way I was thinking. But we like to individualize things. So in this sense, what Jesus is saying to those people that are listening to him, do his message to them. There, there's a whole crowd around him. You have the religious people. You have the people who are foreigners. You have uh, people who are just observing. And he's telling them, he says, listen, the biggest thing that you need to take away from your question about the deal with what happened to the Galileans is that all have sinned. Every individual has sinned. And because every individual has sinned, it means that now is the time to repent. But what was really interesting in this discussion, though, is that the, the Pharisees, I assume, said to Jesus, they said, look, um, that was really something 
what Pilate did to the Galileans. Because they were probably pilgrims who were going to the temple to make sure that they gave sacrifices to God, and then Pilate murdered them, right? So if that happens, such, a, such an amazing event that caught everybody's attention, they must have sinned. They must have been worse than us, right? Because isn't that where we find our, our comfort from? We want to think that we're really not that bad. We want to think that people are actually worse than us, which this is really, again, I'm just going to say it, idolatry. We want to think, well, you know, I know this happened to that person. You might even think right now, well, you know, maybe, and I'm just speculating, and this isn't right, but I'm just saying it's possible somebody might be thinking this. Maybe what's happening in the Ukraine is on account of something they've done wrong. But Jesus would say, no, 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 no. Bad things happen to good people. What you have to understand, don't get sidetracked there. All have sinned. In fact, those who were mingled with the sacrifice, remember what Jesus said? He goes, they weren't worse sinners than everybody else in Galilee. And guess what? A tower fell on the Jews in Jerusalem. This is the heart of religiousness. In Jerusalem, this is where all of the religious people who are aware of God, these are the people who know that God has chosen them. These are the people who said yes to being close to Yahweh at Mount Sinai. They said, yes, we will always obey you. We will always be your people you can always be ours, but these are the people that Jesus said, even in Jerusalem, all have sinned. Y'all with me? We're just going with the word of God here, right? We're going to see where it leads us. Even though those people are worshiping Yahweh, Jesus would say, that they are disconnected from God because of their sin. Isn't that what sin is? This is why Jesus came into the world, God in the flesh, because obviously the world needed to be rescued because the world is full of sin and is disconnected from God. So Jesus is trying to connect those who are willing to God, through his sacrifice on the cross, on their behalf, if they would believe and give their heart to him. This is what's happening. So you can imagine how amazing that is for the Pharisees who are teaching the word of God to hear that they too are sinners. You ever wonder why Jesus got put on the cross? Talking like that in a church, right? Well, you go tell some Christians that, that they are sinners? Whoo! In fact, if you want to, you go back to work this week, see if I'm right. Go and tell everybody, you're a sinner. Um, even though you want, you're in church, or you're a sinner, go tell them that. See what they do. You're going to find yourself in the same position that Jesus found himself in. So all have sinned, and now is the time to repent. Jesus is saying, 
you need, to, you need to repent. Now's your chance. Let's move on to the next thing I want you to see. Jesus said now is the time to repent because, you're going to love this point, the church seems fruitless. And I threw the church in there, and you'll see why. So I just made a distinction when I said the individuals, we understand that individual sin, right? We understand this. But then Jesus ups the ante. Um, Jesus really takes this up one more notch. Certainly all individuals have sinned. But then Jesus then starts talking about Jerusalem, didn't he? He's talking about a, the people of Jerusalem. So now we're into group thinking. That's why I said to you that this is the southern equivalent. Y'all, right? That y'all have sinned. So in other words, the people, the people have sinned. And so what Jesus said then is that he told this parable. He said, look, you know what? I've been coming to this fig tree for three years looking for fruit. It hasn't borne any fruit. And in fact, the owner of the fig tree said, you know what? Cut it down. Why should this waste the good soil that's around it? Did you all hear that? That's what he said. Now, what I'm doing is I'm saying since Jesus is establishing a good context here, he's talking about a people, a, a, a people who have just basically rejected God's will for their lives, right? Because they were given, I mean, I'm telling you, the Jews were given the word of God. This is what made them more unique than everybody else. They had, they had been enlightened by Yahweh himself. He gave Abraham, he had a personal relationship with Abraham. Then the next thing you know, then God reveals himself to Moses. Then God, and if that wasn't enough, God revealed himself to the nation of Israel several times out in the desert. And in fact, not only did he do that, but he also gave them this book of the law that was unique. And what was unique about the book of the law was that he gave them this book so that they would do right towards all of their neighbors. Everyone who would see this, in fact, there would be foreigners who would observe the lifestyle that the Israelites had because they would be the type of people who took care of those who are in need, who were selfless and unselfish, this would be the place where if you were a foreigner who was living in a country where oppression was just simply a way of life, you saw that, you want to go to Israel. It was so good. That was what it was supposed to be. But we know one thing about the Pharisees, don't we? From what Luke's told us, they love money. They love money so much that they are actually undercutting the poor. They are actually withholding from the poor. They are not being generous. And in fact, they are, they are actually at the place where, almost like me in my conversation with my friend, they think that they can live the way they want to and still not be disconnected from Yahweh. Now, if you believe the New Testament, you're going to have to believe that. Because... Jesus has pointed out that they were lovers of money. 
They love money. You remember, and that's why Luke has been going so hard at trying to help us to understand that there's a different value system in God's kingdom. The things that are worth something to God, it's not things, it's people. It's people. And if you are rightly connected to the Lord, then you too don't care about the world's wealth. You don't care about all of these different things. You don't care about sin because the thing that matters to you is what matters to God. It would be much like if my wife likes something, that means I like it too for the most part, unless it's Hallmark. That can't be redeemed. But if she likes something, that means I like something. I noticed that early in our marriage, in fact, that my wife likes the things that I like. If I don't like something, she doesn't either. Have you ever noticed that? It's amazing. Because if you love someone, right, you tend to be on the same page with them. That's what happens. So this is what God's problem is, though. The Pharisees are more interested in pleasing themselves than they are doing God's will. So you remember what I said. I, they take a look up in chapter 12. You can turn with me. I'm not gonna, I'm not, it's not going to be on the overhead. But you can see what it says in chapter 12. I, went, I may have went too far. Let's look at verse 47. So now we're, we've got a little bit of context going. We're going to interpret what Jesus' warning is to the people. It says in verse 47, it says, The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready or does not do what the master wants will be beaten with many blows. Quite a statement. Especially if you're a Pharisee because you're circumcised. That means you're secure, doesn't it? But Jesus said that. And then he says, but the one who does not know and does things deserving of punishment will be beaten with few blows. Now, here's, a, here's an interesting statement. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. So now I'm wondering what he means by, sir, give it a little more time. I'll, I'll fertilize it because the soil was rich, right? The, the soil was rich with this fig tree. And what Jesus has said earlier is that the Pharisees, the religious people, the Jews, right? These people weren't worried about anything even though they had God's word, even though they knew what God intended them to do, they still did as they saw fit in their own eyes. And so Jesus has said to them, unless you bear fruit, you too will perish. Now you're seeing why I say the church. When I look at the church with a capital C, and you got to ask yourself, why is it we don't reject sin anymore? What's going on? Why is it the people of God are not able to pray things into being or out of being? Why is it that 
Christians can't treat each other right? Why is it Christians can't take care of the poor in a better way than what they do when in fact, continually through the Old Testament and New Testament, God is talking about this very thing? Why isn't it that the Christians don't bear fruit anymore? I suspect it's on account of somehow we believe we're secure. And yet, we have a warning passage from Jesus Christ. What am I to do with that? You see why this wasn't planned with what Timothy said about our board meeting when I said, we haven't led anybody to the Lord this year. What kind of fruit is God looking for? Is he looking for us to believe in him so that we can live well off? Or is he looking for fruit in a people, a people of Christ who live differently than the rest of the world? And they live differently than the rest of the world because we're selfless. We live differently than the rest of the world because we seek to live in peace with each other. Because if these are the things he's looking for, and if these are the things that aren't being, I guess, bared, if that's a word, what did he say? Repent. Now's the time to repent. Look at the last thing I want you to see. Jesus said now is the time to repent because judgment is near. Isn't this something? I gotta be honest with you. When I see on Facebook, and I know it's a par- that's a terrible place to look at stuff and make crack judgments, you know. It, I, but when I see on Facebook people looking for churches, you know what I like to see? When somebody says, I need a place where I can go to work on my marriage. We need a place where we're saying we're going to die to ourselves and we're going to surrender to Jesus Christ because all of that other follows after we surrender ourselves to Jesus Christ, right? Or people saying, I'm looking for an awesome kids ministry. Really? Shouldn't we be looking for a place to serve? It's interesting. So what Jesus says, this is why it's important we remind ourselves judgment's near, right? Some of y'all are probably thinking, I ain't coming back here next week. But look what Jesus said in verse 8. Sir, after he found that there was no fruit, Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year. One more year. Let me put some more nutrients into this soil. Let me try to save it. What he's saying is this. Give it just a little bit more time. And what we'll do is we will 
not only am I still doing ministry, if I'm talking from Jesus' perspective, not only am I going to do more ministry, but I'm going to send my apostles out, and they're going to do ministry as well. Let's see if we can get this people to bear the fruit that you're looking for. Because if we can, then we won't lose this fig tree. You know what's amazing? Is even though he's telling the Pharisees and all the crowd this, they just don't realize that their time's about up. Right? Kind of like the tower falling down, kind of like Pilate murdering some people who woke up that morning. They didn't expect to die that day, but they did. But it's even more than that. I know that in 70 AD, and I've told you this in the past, because of the rejection of Jesus Christ and the rejection of God's will in Jerusalem by the people, by the religious authorities, all you got to do is look at Matthew 23 to see it. Jesus pronounced the woes upon them. The Romans came through and destroyed that city. And I'll bet you there were people that day that didn't believe that was going to happen because God loved them so much. Does that sound familiar? Oh, no, 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 no. God's going to take care of his people unless his people deserve to be judged. I told you it's going to be controversial. And this is the moment where you have to commit to reading it for yourself. But I know historically it happened. And what was interesting, when it, the people that were alive that day probably believed that they had the more time that they needed before they had to get things right. Just like I said. Now is the time to repent. You might be somebody this morning that just thinks that I'm just flat wrong, and that is, that is fair, that is fair. But if we're taking text at, the text at face value, you've got to ask yourself this morning, why would Jesus give a warning passage knowing that the people that were going to read the Bible were going to be people who were saved and baptized? Why is there a warning passage in Scripture? Isn't that just for the rest of the world? Well, the problem is, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, what do you care what the Bible says? This, the Word of God was written to the believers to keep them straight. So if that's the reason, then you have to understand that maybe you and I, we need to remember that all have sinned, and there are times that we are going to have to repent. In fact, I remember in John, uh, the book of John, when uh, Jesus was serving the disciples, and he was going to wash Peter's feet. Do you remember that? Peter said, oh, no, 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 Lord, you don't wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. So the idea was that as you go through the world, you're getting a little dirty, right? You're getting a little off track sometimes. That's why we come back together. The Word of God brings us right back on track, doesn't it? That's what we do. If you're somebody this morning that doesn't want to acknowledge sin in your life, 
but it's easier for you to acknowledge sin in someone else's life, you need to turn this around. Turn it around. As I can tell you, I could spend enough time taking care of myself in prayer rather than picking apart how someone else is living because I know that what Jesus just said is we've all sinned. If you're someone this morning that just thinks, well, Pastor Scott, I don't know, but that was an awful harsh statement that you said about the church. So It does seem that way, doesn't it? The church universal right now, I don't think that we can argue it. We're not well. We're not well. If we were well, we would see more fruit in our communities. We don't see it. We just don't. But I can tell you this. If I'm, if I'm correct in what I'm interpreting, what we see Jesus do here is that he takes care of the people who didn't want to live by the will of God, even though they said they did. Their actions were very different than what they said. We know that what, they, what happened in 70 AD was that place got sacked. We might call it a purge. What do you think might be happening in the Ukraine now with the Christian community? You think they're getting down to who the real people are? If you don't think you're the real person, if you aren't real with God, if he's not really your savior this morning, now is the time to repent. Now is the time. If you're somebody that thinks that judgment isn't so close that we've been saying that for years, let me tell you something. It doesn't matter how close it is. Our lives are always opportune for the Lord, aren't they? We learned that in Luke 2. The message that Jesus is getting across is now is the time for you to repent so that if judgment should come, you will have been found faithful. I got to ask you a question this morning. What if the churches maybe adjusted themselves? I say us too. But what if we adjusted ourselves and said, Instead of making people feel comfortable in church, what if we started making them feel a little bit more uncomfortable in church and we started to impress upon people that it does matter how you live before the Lord? What if we were telling people that these warning passages actually apply to us first, then the world, which is what the book of Hebrews tells us. Judgment starts in God's house First, then goes into the world. What if we were telling people that stuff? If we did, I don't know about you, but it seems to me we would start seeing fruit there in all the churches, especially right here in Pickens County. What would we see different in our churches? I'm going to say we would see people who loved each other the right way assembling together on Sunday morning. We would see people who love the Lord and their lives, they wouldn't even have to tell us how much they love the Lord because their life would demonstrate it, right? And if that was so, then I'm going to say that if all the churches did it, you remember the awakening? 
I don't think we care whose people are who anymore. I think people would seriously start living for the Lord and God's kingdom would come into fruition right here on this earth. And it could start right here in Pickens County. The government. It would start right here. But all it would take is for us to repent. So right now, with all heads bowed and eyes closed, it's time to be honest with the Lord and yourself. Are you His? Does your life demonstrate it? If you're not His this morning and you want to be His, Come and see me right after this service. We will fix that. We will pray to receive Jesus. If you should desire to receive Christ as your Savior this morning, we will take care of that. But I got to tell you, that means that you are counting the cost. And the cost that you've counted this morning is that you no longer want to pursue sin. You are deciding to pursue Jesus and His will. This is where we are. It's the time of now. I'm going to lead us in prayer. If you want to come to the altar, you can come. If you want to see me after, you can see me after. But let's take advantage of the now and repent. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now. We're so grateful, Lord, for your word this morning. We know that we are your people. We know, Lord, that what Jesus did for us on the cross, Lord, was done so that you could write your law on our hearts, Lord. In other words, so that we would begin to desire to do your will and not ours. Now, Father, I pray if there's anybody within the sound of my voice that struggled with anything I've said this morning, Lord, would you speak to the hearts all over? Would you drive us to our knees? Would you also, Lord, cause us, persuade us to open up our Bibles and read it for ourselves? Lord, I pray that you would help us, help us to serve you wholeheartedly. I pray that you would go with us from here, Lord, with a new resolve, Lord, to live your will out wherever we work, wherever we live, with whatever we do in the community, Lord. Help us to be those people that can be seen as yours, that are bearing the fruit because we're rightly connected with the fig tree, you. Father, I pray this in Jesus' precious name, God's people said, amen.